You're listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm James Batchelor, Editor-in-Chief of GamesIndustry.biz, and joining me this week is Brendan Sinclair, Managing Editor. How are you this week, Brendan? I'm doing okay, James. Doing okay. That's an improvement on last week, where we were just about hanging in there. It's an improvement on every week. <laughs> <laughs> and it is just the two of us from the team this week, because we have a very special guest. We have Michael Varner from the CTW Investment Group. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Now, this will no doubt uh, indicate what topic we're going to be talking about, but could you tell us a little bit about CTW and what it is you do? Sure. Well, I'm the Director of Executive Compensation Research at CTW Investment Group, and we represent affiliate pension funds and shareholders. Marvellous. And we have brought you on for for fairly obvious reasons. There's been a lot of news recently, uh, particularly this last week, about executive compensation in the games industry. Kind of the headlines are that Earlier this month, Activision shareholders decided to delay the say-on-pay vote as to whether or not it was going to accept the proposed compensation plans for its named executive officers. That was then passed. Brendan, I believe you covered that, and it was going to pass with something of a majority, I believe? Something. 54% of shareholders, if I remember right. Interestingly, we saw related news from Electronic Arts. Their shareholders actually rejected the say-on-pay vote last year. And EA has since been gathering feedback and has made some big changes to its executive compensation program uh, You know, and how its big chief execs and lead management get rewarded. Despite all these changes, uh, CEO Andrew Wilson is still set to make a lot of money if this year's say-on-pay vote goes the way that the executives hope it does uh, come August. Michael, you follow all this very, very closely, and, and CTW actually has something of a hand in the delay to Activision's vote and certainly the, the rejection of last year's vote by EA. Could you tell us a little bit more about like what CTW has been doing specifically against kind of EA and Activision in this space? You know, we look at all companies in the S&P 500 and try to locate companies that we view as having a disconnect between pay and performance, a you know, weak link between pay and performance. And it just so happened that the video gaming industry and Activision and EA are two examples of this problem. You know, um, with Activision, there were problematic elements in Bobby Kotick's employment agreement that gave him undue compensation, uh, a compensation above and beyond um, his performance. Now, Activision's performance is very strong, and uh, Mr. Kotick has been the the head of the company for a very long period of time, you know, like 30 years. So no one's taking away his contributions to Activision's success. But, you know, there are other executives. There are executives in a lot of companies that have done well over the years, and they don't have these problematic elements in their contracts, these things that provide for compensation above and beyond just simply growing the stock price. So he had something in his contract called the shareholder value creation incentive, which makes it so you have performance equity or whatever the goals of the performance equity are, even if they weren't met, all the equity from 2016 to 2021 would accelerate at maximum. That's an unusual provision and something that we highlighted and said, this is above and beyond you simply growing the stock price. And he would get that award if he doubled the stock price over the course of that agreement. And of course, Well, we had COVID last year. So again, not taking away from his contributions per se, but to say that every good thing that happened that contributed to Activision stock price is solely the result of Bobby Kotick's leadership is a little misleading, right? Because people had very limited entertainment options during COVID. So of course, that's going to help Activision sales. It's going to help Activision stock price. So uh, again, that was a problematic element in the agreement. And then when they kind of came out with, hey, we're going to, we're going to remove that 
and we're going to reduce the amount of equity that he gets, that was positive, but they only really were going to do that through 2022. And his equity award for 2021 was already going to accelerate at maximum. So again, you know, it didn't signal to us enough of a commitment to really rein in Kodak's pay and put it more towards the median of the company's peer group. So, you know, we wrote her a letter and I guess that got, got under their skin or, you know, uh, brought the ire uh, of them. And, 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 and most likely, you know, their stay on pay was trending to not do so well. It was probably trending to fail, uh, to be honest. No way to know, but it's a, probably a good educated guess that that's where it was headed. And so they decided to extend the polls for another week. And that's how they were able to, they probably, you know, got on the phone and, oh, will you please change your vote? And, and this and that and the third. There's no way to know exactly what they did or what they said, but that led to them being able to get a narrow uh, majority, which is still, you know, pretty bad. I mean, most stay on pay proposals pass within uh, somewhere in the, in the 90% range or low 80% range. I believe the average uh, this year is 88%. So to get 54% is very low. In the case of electronic arts, uh, we have an, a different situation where they're giving special awards to their executives. And they make a case that, well, listen, you know, we've got these large technology firms that want to move into the interactive entertainment space. You know, we got Apple, we got Facebook, you know, and maybe they're going to make video games, right? And they're saying that these large technology companies are going to poach their executive. And so in order to keep them, we got to keep giving them special equity awards above and beyond what we would give just ordinarily. So if the executive gets a $10 million equity award ordinarily, well, they're going to want to give them 20 million for every three years or so or something like that. So that's a problem. And the reason that's a problem is uh, because not only does it uh, contribute to a ratcheting of executive pay, but when you do that, you incrementally divorce shareholder experience from the executive's experience. It may not be a problem right when you grant it, but let's say the stock price starts to go down over a, over a long period of time. Well, then the company starts talking about retention for a different reason. Now it's not poaching. It's, well, the executive isn't getting enough equity and so they, they might leave. So they give them more retention. So it's at the top, when, there's, when the stock is going up, it's retention because, well, they're doing so well that other companies want them, all right? When the stock price is going down, it's, well, we gotta retain them because they're not getting any money. They're not getting enough money. And so what happens is over the course of time, five, 10 years, the executive, is their equity is constantly being replenished while the shareholders, uh, if you're a shareholder, if you invested $100,000 in, in whatever company, that's your retirement, right? That's your, that's your pension. Well. Let's say the stock price loses, I don't know, 50% of its value over 10 years. So in the case of something similar to GE, uh, or let's say just five years, 50% of its value over five years. Well, now you have $50,000. But that executive, that executive is still getting those special equity awards over time. You see how that significantly weakens the pay for performance alignment. There's so much to unpack there. One of the things I found interesting was the, as you say, like the the approval rates for these say on pay votes, which I believe are, are advisory. They're not like exactly you know, legally binding, but they are a kind of an indication of where shareholders' views are. 
those are generally like kind of approved in the, like the 90, 80% kind of range. And the sheer drop in EAs last year was incredible. Like, so for 2017 to 2019, it was 96% approval, 86% approval, 94% approval. And then 2020, when CTW and others are like, are really kind of rallying against these, these oversized equity awards, it dropped to 26%, which like that, yeah, only 26% of shareholders approved the, the compensation plan, which call me naively optimistic, but kind of inspires hope that maybe, maybe we can change this. The reason why I went so low is because they granted. So again, these special or these one-time awards, right? And I put, I do the one-time in air quotes because it's kind of a misnomer, right? It's one time that time, but then three years later, four years later, as in the case of Andrew Wilson, they're going to do it again. So Andrew Wilson, he was already given $30 million in fiscal 2018. And his ordinary course equity award level is $15 million. So they doubled it. And now they've done the identical thing in terms of pay level in fiscal 2021. So what happened last year, you know, 2020, was they granted two different executives, two other NEOs, a special award on top of their ordinary course equity award. But the performance period for their last special award wasn't over yet. It was like a four-year performance period. And within that four-year performance period, they granted the awards that they granted last year. And, and then in their proxy, they say, you know, well, at least in this year's proxy, they, they say that, hey, we're going to be using these things rarely and sparingly. And in general, in the executive compensation, you know, what, what is executive compensation best practice is to use these kind of special awards sparingly, maybe in situations of a new hire uh, executive, a newly promoted executive, there may be a retention concern here and there, but it's not supposed to be, you know, every three years, every th- that's, that's not how this is supposed to go. In terms of reducing the amount of executive compensation to executives where there's a weak pay for performance alignment, executive pay for most years increases. Uh, and the CEO pay ratio definitely continues to increase. So, you know, it's kind of a bleak outlook in terms of that, unfortunately. A failed vote, most companies are going to respond, but if it has an overall impact on changing uh, the situation at a macro level, I wouldn't hold your breath on that one. <laughs> How did we get started uh, on this this trend of just escalating executive compensation? Because my impression is, is that it it was not like this in, I don't know, the 80s. Well, everybody has their own theories. Me personally, you know, I think that at least part of the genesis was the, the birth of compensation consulting. Uh, there's a man by the name of Ark Patton at, at McKinsey that uh, kind of put out the notion that the more executives are paid, the better they're incentivized to go out there and, and do better for their companies. And I think that was in like the 60s. That, I think, was the kernel that kind of set the, the motion that we have now. There's some other contributors. One of the big contributors that I mentioned very often and I believe is problematic today, and I think it's a little counterintuitive, is the overemphasis of performance equity at the expense of pay quantum. Now, that's a mouthful, but basically what that means is somewhere along the line, I think it might, it might have been the 80s or early 90s, before that, at that time, there was like, you know, executives would maybe would get $5 million in time vesting equity, time vesting, meaning there are no performance conditions in order to receive it. You just receive it over time. 
and they might get five million in time vesting equity or five million in options. And that was it, time vesting options with no performance conditions, and, and that was all, right? But over time, we became very emphasized or obsessed over performance equity, attaching performance goals in order to get the in order to get the equity, as if the incentive to simply grow the stock price with time vesting equity was not enough, right? Because time vesting equity already has a performance component. You want to grow the stock. So if you're, if you're granted 5 million in time vesting equity over four years or five years, and you want to double the stock price because then that 5 million is going to turn into 10 million, right? It's a win for, it's a win for the executive. It's a win for shareholders. But what started to happen is, we started to emphasize performance equity very heavily to the point where if you didn't have it, it's like a ding on your record, to sort of speak. Best practice now is that a majority of your equity compensation needs to be performance-based. Well, the thing about that is performance-based equity has a risk of forfeiture in it, meaning there's a chance that you might not get it. And in order to account for that risk of forfeiture, you better believe that the amount of equity given, they're going to try to account for that by giving more equity because there's more risk, right? And GE is a perfect kind of case study in this. They granted a large, the number escaped from it, it was very large amount of equity to their CEO. And it was attached to these aggressive stock price appreciation goals, okay? Then you fast forward, you know, two years and some change into the performance period and they realize, oh, oh, we can't meet these goals, all right? So the entire thing, all of his equity was at, was at risk. And most executives are not going to be okay with that. They're going to want some sort of equity compensation. So the compensation committee had to lower the goals in order for that executive to, see, to get something, right? And that is a no-no. That's not a good thing. So their, uh, their stay-on-pay proposal failed, yeah, I, I do believe. So had they granted a less amount of money Right, so I, I can't remember what the what the package is off the top of my head. So I got a million numbers swimming around, but let's just say uh, hypothetically it was fifty million. It's fifty million in entirely performance-based equity with very rigorous performance goals. Right. Let's say instead of that they gave him fifteen million, twenty million, but it's in time vesting equity. So if the stock price goes down, he's still going to get some. He's just not going to get as much. And then as the stock price goes up, he's going to get more, but you don't have to sit there and reset goals and, and try to do all these things to get him something. There's already some value there, right? And his incentive is to grow the stock price. So that seems counterintuitive because again, we're all about these executives, they need to, they need to earn it, right? So they got to, we got to get these metrics in there, EPS metrics, you know, return on asset metrics, revenue metrics, stock price metrics, What's the best metric? We got to find it. And it's like stock price is not totally in the executive's control. It's just not. And so there really is no best metric, but that doesn't mean that compensating the executive in equity like we did to come all the way back full circle, like we did in the 1980s and 90s in just time vesting equity isn't a good idea because that does align the executive experience with shareholder experiences. I'm wondering if there are situations, if, if it's that much of a problem where normally the incentive to like get the share price up works well with the shareholders. But if the executive has so much on the line 
this really outsized compensation uh, goal facing them. Is it a problem where they would be incentivized to take uh, short-term actions that would spike uh, the, the share price that might be long-term detrimental to the company? Or is that long-term detrimental nature enough for people to see it and it would not work to spike the, the share price then? I mean, the answer is sometimes there is, sometimes uh, there's not. It's kind of becoming cliche that when you see performance equity that's based on stock price goals or just whatever it's based off of that, it's, oh, this is a short-term thinking, it's short-termism, short-term, short-term. There are some executives out there that, that do think long-term, regardless of how the pay package is set up. So I don't want to just say that you know every performance equity package or every executive is, is always thinking short-term based on the way the uh, pay package is set up. However, there is also the opposite where, yes, there, there is sometimes where especially aggressive stock price appreciation goals combined with a kind of short-term type of thinking can lead to disaster. And I think that Valiant Pharmaceuticals was one of those cases. Um, it was back, I believe, in 2015 or 2016, around that time. They had extremely aggressive uh, stock price appreciation goals. And they said, hey, look look at our package, you know. I think e- even me, when I first looked at their their package, I was like, you know, hey, that, uh, doesn't look, that doesn't look too bad. But it didn't end up so well because if you recall, their business model was kind of like a pharmaceutical roll-up where they would acquire a drug company, reduce the R&D spend by basically, you know, however they did it, which is probably uh, letting go of a lot of their research and development scientists and staff, and then increasing the prices of drugs, some of them rare drugs, some of them inexpensive drugs, they would make more expensive and all this thing. And it led to a a big scandal. Their CEO resigned. Uh, it It was just a mess. So that is one of the pitfalls of having these aggressive stock price goals. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have it. Again, I just just get, I just gave it with the preface of it's fine to have it, but it can uh, be problematic. What are your thoughts on when goals are not connected to stock price, but are kind of connected to broader objectives? So I'm thinking of Ubisoft. Ubisoft recently kind of um, changed the goals for the compensation for their executives. And in the previous fiscal year, it was to do with increasing diversity. So if they increased the number of women in their workforce, then they, you know, to a certain amount, then they got their compensation. They changed it this year because they believe they're kind of on track to meet those goals. I think they had a one-year and a three-year goal, and they're on track to meet the three-year goal. So they changed it to offsetting their carbon footprint, so reducing the kind of carbon reduction. Um, so again, kind of like bringing that kind of environmental aspect into like, that. right, we're incentivizing the chief exec not just to improve the company, but to do less damage to the planet. Um, what are your thoughts on that as a, as a kind of a, a way of organizing you know and incentivizing executives i'm not an expert on either dei or esg type of type of metrics and and so i don't want to speak too too much on those Uh, what i will say is in a short-term program uh, with the annual incentive program or the cash incentive program or the annual bonus program that's acceptable that's fine i think for the long-term program which is usually an equity incentive program uh, where, where equity vests over three, four, five years or something like that, or sometimes 10 years or longer. I'm an advocate for a return to time vesting equity in exchange for lowering the pay quantum, the amount that executives are getting with very few, if, if, if any, goals attached. Just 
let's reduce these pay packages. Let's let them vest over time so that way the executive knows that they're going to get something and they have an incentive to get more if they grow the stock price. From what you've seen, is the video game industry any better or worse on, on this front than, than other industries? Technology, media, and entertainment is the highest executive compensation sector. If it's not number one, it's definitely going to be number two. So in that sense, if you're a large video game publisher, the executives are going to make a lot of money. A lot of money is not necessarily worse or better. Um, in terms of their executive compensation practices, I haven't looked at all of them. I haven't looked at every single, but the, the large publishers, I mean, you know, they, they, they make a lot of money. So I don't know. I, I can't answer that. I would have to say neutral. EA obviously made a lot of uh, changes and they listed all these changes in this, in, in this report ahead of their shareholder meeting uh, in, in, in August. From your point of view, how much impact do those changes make? Like, are, are these significant changes? And is there more that you'd like to see them do? Their changes overall were, were positive. What is missing or what we would like to see is a longer commitment to the changes. For instance, they said we were not going to make special awards through fiscal 2022. That's a year, right? So, and we, we already know, like I said, with Andrew Wilson, he got a $30 million equity award, right? 15 million and then another 15 million on top in fiscal 2018. And now they're doing the same thing three years later in fiscal 2021. So to say that you're not going to do special equity or enhanced equity awards for fiscal 2022, that's a little short, don't you think? I agree. The only thing that I could see in the notes that was a fiscal 22 and beyond was his annual equity award is going to be at least 60% performance-based. But other than that, it was all specifically referencing fiscal 2022. So you're right. Most of the changes. Thank you. you all Again, that, that's the composition of the pay. And I've already kind of given you my take on that. There are other entities that are a little bit more concerned with the ratio of performance, the time-based equity, and the techniques around that. And I've already given you my philosophy on why I'm not as big on that and I'm not as concerned about that. I believe that pay quantum is the, is the real problem, not pay composition. Is it hard to marshal shareholder support or lack of support for the compensation, say, on pay proposals when the stock prices of these companies have been trending upwards for, for a while now pretty healthily? I would say mostly no. When you're making good points, you're making good points. I mean, Activision, Activision has, has done very well over the years. And we were able to make good, salient arguments for why uh, Bobby Kotick was overcompensated. So yeah, I, would, I would have to say generally no. There, there, might, there may be some exceptions here and there. Uh, some shareholders really like, they like that company's plan from beginning to end, everything they got going on, you know, so, but that's not, the, that's not true in all cases. You've been talking a lot about the fact that they're being overcompensated and that implies like kind of a perceived value of, of their work, of the work they actually do. Whenever we post some of these stories, you inevitably get random users on Twitter, admittedly, like, but people replying, well, all they do, you know, all these executives do is sit on their ass behind a desk. Now I grant you, you are not, 
standing in their office watching what they are doing. You're not you're not shadowing Bobby and Andrew like throughout the year. But what is it that these executives are doing, or that the companies say these executives are doing to warrant all this? Like not just like in in general in terms of like elevating the stock price, but on a, on a day to day basis, how are they justifying these these vast amounts of money? The CEO is like the head strategist and visionary of that company. And they do sometimes make great strategic decisions. They can decide, hey, this is a good acquisition, or they can decide this is a good time to be acquired. In the case of of Activision, for instance, some people may not like it in the gaming community, but Bobby Kotick was, you know, made a decision to to try to make things very franchise-based and also try to successfully to integrate, you know, things like microtransactions and loot boxes. Now, he might have overdid it, but the idea being that like they own they own Call of Duty, right? Which is a very successful franchise. It's almost like the Disney of video games, right? It's like if it ain't a franchise, then we don't want to concern ourselves with it. We want something that, you know, we can do over and over and over again and that we can, you know, exploit to get our revenue. Okay. And so, you know, there's some problems with that, right? I'm not, I'm not here to say, I'm not here, you know, curing for that, but that was his strategic decision and it has generated strong returns for shareholders and shareholders are pensioners. All right. Regular average, ordinary people that have a pension, have a 401k. And so there's some good strategic decisions or strategic decisions that have generated shareholder returns that have benefited shareholders. So they don't all sit on their butt and just do nothing. However, and this is very important, teamwork makes the dream work, okay? I don't know how many employees Activision has offhand, but they've got a lot of employees. They have a lot of developers, junior developers, senior developers, QA testers, okay? All these people involved in making the video game. And those people, help to bring the video game to life. It's not just Bobby Kotick. So that's what we're trying to get across at CTW. These workers deserve to be paid uh, accordingly. I I focus on executive compensation. So when when we talk about overpay, that's, you know, that's kind of part of it. Doubling the stock price, that's that's commendable. Right, but does that mean that all your equity is supposed to accelerate at maximum if you didn't meet, you know, certain performance goals along the way? No. Right? Does that mean that because you have uh, done so well that your granted pay, not realized, but that your granted equity pay needs to be consistently above the median of peers? Not again, this is not realized. This is not what you end up with. This is just I'm going to be paid starting off at this level. That's what we try to identify. I'm curious when when you you talk about executive overpay, which suggests that there's executive appropriate pay. And you've mentioned median pay for other companies in the sector. You were also just talking about it being a team, though. And and I'm wondering if, it, if it's mostly just looking at what other competing companies uh, compensate their executives with and how much is like executive to you know, average worker compensation level and, and what the multiple is there. Like, is CTW that concerned with, with that? And how do you determine what, what should be the right pay? We do take a look at that. 
So we, we're concerned with it all. I take a look at all the data points and take a holistic view. I think the former that you said is where the emphasis is, and that's because that's where a lot of the analysis is. That's where the attention is. And, and then it makes sense from, from just an executive compensation best practice standpoint to look at how other executives are compensated. So, of course, we are going to, you know, benchmarking is another strong contributor to the ratcheting of executive pay. Because what's happening with the executive pay is you have a market, right? And so what happens is it's just like the market for anything else. Like, I don't really watch sports, but if you're an average sports player, you know, in, in the NBA, what is it? It's like $10 million. That's, that's not even, that's not Michael Jordan, right? That's just, hey, you know, <laughs> I'm average. <laughs> you know, and that's not the same for a different industry, you know, that where are a different or different type of job. So what happens is as that market ratchets up, even an average CEO that may not be a visionary, may not be a great strategic thinker, still, you know, every year because the market is, is increasing, is, is going to be making a lot, right? And it's going to increase exponentially. And that's a, that's a problem. Right. So the, the, the challenge is identifying the poor performers from the strong performers. And then even when you have a strong performer, is that performer relatively overpaid? Do they have things that is like above and beyond what, what you would consider their matching their strong performance? Even when you get the uh, the poor performers, though, it's like, well, we're not going to pay you just a few hundred thousand dollars because if you're that poor a performer, we're, we're getting you out of the company. But when we get you out of the company, we're also going to be paying you, you know, a couple of years of compensation there, like just to get you to go away because you got a golden parachute. Right. So the thing is, is that, no, we're not going to get you out of the company, right? Because once you make it to like NEO, it's, it's a while before they're going to get you out of the company. Okay. They, they're they're going to, you know, they're, they're going to, they're going to believe, they believe that they're, you know, NEOs or top people are doing what they're supposed to do. So instead of we're going to get you out of the company, it's we're going to give you a retention award. And we're going to do that over and over again until it is crystal clear that you ain't got the juice. You ain't got the sauce, right? And then we're going to, we're going to have to terminate you. But that's going to be a termination without cause. So as you said, all that retention equity that we gave you, likely you're just still going to get it. Even the ones that are scheduled to vest in the future. We haven't even earned it yet. But just to get rid of you, you're going to get that. And then, of course, you're going to be hired by another company. Because, again, even if you're not the most talented executive, you made it up there, and so somebody's going to want you. And when you're in charge of a large staff, you know, you can, you can kind of scoot it on other. You, you know, you got a lot of different avenues to blame for your short-sightedness or your just lack of talent. When we're talking about all this and all these, you know, these terminations and like, you know, executive, executive overpay, and obviously, like the the backdrop is like, like I say, all the the peers, all the you know, the people elsewhere on the team will lower down the staff. Activision Blizzard is terrible for this last few years, like you know, record results, and we're laying off eight hundred people. You know, it, it's just it's galling that we live in this world where yeah, a company can be at its peak in terms of how much it is earning, how much it is worth, where its CEO can be earning upwards of $150 million per year. And yet suddenly there isn't enough money to pay, you know, a few hundred people. Yeah. I mean, 
I'm, I'm, I have nothing to say on that. I agree with you. Marvellous. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Michael, today. That's been brilliant. Please do keep in touch. We'll, uh, we're going to be covering this issue as it goes on. I think the next step is the EA say on pay vote in August. So I'm intrigued to see how the outcome will be of that after all the changes they've made and after the the number of stockholders they've spoken to in the past year, no doubt in the hopes of, uh, of getting a bit more approval. That is all we've got time for. You can go back and find all previous podcasts on the podcasting platform of your choice, including all the various kind of spin-off series that we've done. So we've done the GIE3 newscast, the Game Developers Playlist, the Five Games Of. We've got another Five Games Of in the works, hopefully coming this week. Fingers crossed. I don't want to promise it. And we have a special kind of uh, series of podcasts coming up in July. So keep an eye out for those, or an ear out for those even. In the meantime, you can get more news, analysis, and insight into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. Music